0: to welcome you to boy meets wellness a podcast that discusses the complexities celebrations and challenges of building a wellness ritual as a boi a person who is born obviously incredible you are now listening to boy meets wellness with poet motivational speaker and wellness lover
1: evolve boi born obviously incredible especially when you wear it pretty What's good? Boy Meets Wellness listeners. Hello. How are y'all doing today? I'm so excited to be here and to continue to give y'all the good about financial wellness in season two of Boy Meets Wellness. Today's interview features one of my favorite writers and performers, poets in the world, Jay Mace. I met Jay Mace over a decade ago at a queer poetry event. In Riverside, California, we both were performing and sharing our work. Shouts out to UC Riverside and the LGBT Resource Center staff, Nancy, Toy, Megan, and anyone else over there doing amazing queer work. I've been following Jay Maze for a while and I've always appreciated his creative energy, his ability to speak volumes of truth into his work, but also the hustle that he has to exhibit as a full-time artist. This week's wellness tip is actually a writing prompt. So many of you may know this or not, but my day job is in higher education and I work for the UCSF School of Medicine. And a few weeks ago, I held space with some of my black medical students and the writing prompt that I gave them is to write a ritual or a spell to clear the generational curses in your family. I know one of my generational curses in my family is the lack of financial literacy and also wanting but not obtaining property. My grandma and my mama wanted their own big old houses, so that is what I plan on writing um, in my spell and in my curse, you know, to get away this lack of abundance that we were calling in, but also this, this want and this need to obtain my own piece of property. I feel like I'm playing Monopoly, right? Like I'm trying to get over in the boardwalk, Park Avenue section, get me a big house on the hill. Sometimes keeping a journal and writing spells to clear out the bad is a way to shift our proximity to abundance. Sometimes we have to write it, speak it in our bodies and actually believe it before it manifests. I actually have a few journals that I really enjoy writing in and will include those in the show notes as well so you can check those out and also put those on our resource page. Um, I'm really particular about the journals I write in. I was actually cleaning up um some of my journals yesterday and my partner was like you got like 25 journals you need to stick to one um so i bet you all writers got like a million things that they write in but you know it keeps us motivated it keeps us going if you really like what you're hearing from myself and the boy meets wellness team please head over to itunes subscribe and let us know by leaving us a review what we're doing well we really would appreciate it if you don't have apple podcasts or itunes that's cool We got you We got Spotify, Google Music, YouTube Or even on iHeartRadio But pretty much everywhere that you can find podcasts So check us out We're trying to make this as accessible as possible Subscribe, share with your friends and family And also if you have any questions Or want to come on the show as a guest Don't forget to shoot us an email At boymeetswellness at gmail.com Thank you so much for listening And now let's jump into this interview With my boy, Jay Mace
0: um, so hey everyone, um, thank you so much for having me. Like you said, I'm a poet, I'm an educator. I'd like to also imagine a theologian and I am the founder of Awkward Talents. And what brings me joy, what brings me joy? I think being able to create a life in which I get to surround myself with other black and brown trans people. That is
2: beautiful. So what is what has that journey been like? Cause I remember when I first heard about um, Awkward Talent and I mean, I love it. I just love the concept of us like, reclaiming our artistic you know um talents and really showing folks like how to get gigs but also like how to express themselves in a unified way like when i go on that page i often go on that page when i'm trying to send people links of like potential speakers or potential folks that i think that are just amazing so what made you come up with like that idea and how has been the process what have been some of the like celebrations and challenges and maybe even tell the audiences like what it is exactly what is awkward talent
0: Yeah, so Awkward is an organization that seeks to uplift the work of trans and queer artists of color in particular. And so that means that uh, a lot of my work is supporting other speakers, poets, musicians um, of different kinds, comedians that come from community and supporting their tours, helping to create tours, getting them gigs, and just really also trying to provide knowledge about sustainable practice as an artist right so what does it mean to be able to live fully off of your work and your art Uh, for me that journey started i started awkward where i guess coming up this school year i think will be our sixth year we'll be starting our sixth year sort of in existence and so i started this process by myself being a full-time artist and realizing that when I was asking other folks in my community, you know, well, how are y'all surviving off your gigs? Like, I'm getting lots of racist stuff back from from places I'm reaching out to. I'm like, you know, people are saying things like, oh, you're a Black artist? Like, well, our Black History Month is full, or you're trans? We had a trans person of color speak two years ago, so we don't need you to come, or all these different things in which people were assuming that my work was a flavor of the month instead of, like, if it's well-written in February, it's certainly well-written in march it's certainly well written in october it's certainly well written all year round and so when i was asking people even elders that were doing poetry longer than i've been doing you know what's sort of been going on for them as far as their sustainability it seemed that there needed to be more resources in the ways that people support each other and create our own networks so that Sort of for me was me creating a network of artists that can support each other and uplift our work.
2: That is beautiful. That is beautiful. So, um, how do folks like get involved with that? Like, if people are interested, they want to like put on a tour, they want to know more, like, how would they find out more about Awkward Talent?
0: Well, so if people want to book artists or things like that, they can go on our website, which is awqwardtalent.com, awqwardtalent.com. And so we organize people to perform. At different festivals, universities, uh, faith organizations all over the place, uh, as far as like people joining awkward, so what happens is you know we're a small team, so it's really about being able so we have a crew of people that have sort of just kind of come in as some newer folks to the team, as well as um, people that I've seen over the years, you know so it's myself and the team sort of deciding, okay, well, we've seen people that we like and support and and know how to talk about their work uh, that you know, we can kind of,
2: we try to add a couple new people every year or something like that. Full-time artist, educator, like how do you make it happen? Like, how are you, how are you strategizing and making sure that you have enough money to survive? Like, what are some tips that you would give other artists, other healers, other educators, um, other grinders, writing consultants about how to really make sure that they're taking care and, and As you say in your workshop, can you pay your rent though, right? Like making sure that they're really getting the resources in for their talent. Yeah. So as you're sort of
0: saying, you know, there's this ongoing workshop I've had the blessing of doing, um, which happens and has happened in a bunch of different places. And I'll be doing an online session of it, which is, but can I pay my rent though? And there's a few different major tips that I would say for people, you know, that we can kind of stretch out (laughs) into a much, much longer conversation, which is why the workshop exists. But so one of the basic things and the most, most basic things is oftentimes people are waiting for someone else to discover their work and to tell them that it's important, right? And so what I mean by that is I'll interact with people. Like I was having this conversation with an artist a few weeks ago and, you know, it was, you know, it was in preparation for Pride Month and all this stuff and she's a queer artist. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm really excited to see your work. Uh, do you have any bookings for Pride that I can come see or, you know? What's sort of going on for you? And so the way she looked at me she said, Well, no nobody's asked me to perform, so I don't have any gigs. And, it, and she was very angry <laughs> about not having gigs. And I said, Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry that you don't have anything lined up. You know, are there places that you've asked and they've just declined you? Or like, what sort of? I said, Oh, well, you know, people just usually ask, right? And so I think a lot of people, when I ask them, Well, how are you getting gigs? They're like, Well, you know, it's by word of mouth. That's cool, (laughs) you know, in a world of if you only want one gig a year or a handful of gigs a year, um, you will not be able to make a full-time living if you are constantly just waiting for word of mouth, right? Because even word of mouth is in cycles, right? Um, And so having a regular ongoing process in which you're doing outreach and understanding that as wonderful and talented as you are, there are 8 billion people on this planet. And so you have to imagine there's also a lot of other brilliant and talented people that also deserve a living wage. So I think definitely having an ongoing process for outreach, uh, definitely putting yourself in positions where you are pricing yourself fairly. Right. And honestly, you know, I think a lot of times people get used to being underpaid. And so they get used to going to organizations that have millions and millions of dollars And allowing those people to also underpay them instead of thinking about how their work is tied to a legacy of other people and current people that also need us to be talking about fair wages. Um, Yeah, but those are just the top two things that kind of, that to me, I think shift the ways that people typically are able to see themselves living full time.
2: That is so real. I mean, I'm still as as an artist, as a consultant, really, really still struggling with that. Recently, I got an offer to do a panel, right, um, mm-hmm. for LGBT, I guess, Pride Month. They wanted to do more of a trans focused panel. And I thought, number one, the communication was way off because I thought they want me to sit on a panel. turned out when I got there, they wanted me to lead the panel. This was a whole mess. Um, but I definitely underpriced myself because I didn't know, like the company is a tech company. I couldn't really find information. So I think I asked them for like $600 or something that, that I feel like is way below me. And then they came back and they were like, oh, well, we have 1500 so we'll give that to you. And it was just really a moment for me where I was like, yo, you need to like... you need to respect your values you know what I mean like because it was definitely way more than it was worth $1,500 like the work that Mm. I had to put in I had to get there I had to take off work right like um, yeah it was definitely up there but i think that there's something about this this imposter syndrome and i think it happens with with a lot of folks so i think it's very unique for us queer and trans people of color um and i don't know if you struggle with that or if that's something that you have worked with your clients around but is there anything you mm-hmm. could speak to on like just kind of like pushing past that threshold cuz i think that that was something that kind of pushed me like once they pushed mm-hmm. me i was like oh well, now that I've set on this and, and done a panel for this amount, I can charge for that amount. That's almost the value that I look at it as. It's like, okay, now that I've been paid that, I can ask for that. But I know that there's, it's deeper than that, right? Um, so is there any tools or anything that you can provide for folks on pushing past imposter syndrome and that doubt well, around asking so, for your work? So number one, I think it's really
0: amazing that they actually went to you and said like, oh, actually, we have more than that, because most places will not do that for you, right?
2: It and was so I powerful. Think, that was the universe. That was like yeah, <laughs> the money man from above. <laughs> what most organizations would be like,
0: oh, you asked for like 200, like we'll give you 200, knowing that they paid other people 10,000. Do you know what I mean? And so number one, I think the thing that you said about, oh, I don't typically do research. I didn't get to really do uh, research because you know there wasn't a lot of information online or all that kind of stuff. What I typically, so in those instances, what I would just also say for folks is I tell people what my rates are for organizations over a million dollars you know if i don't know and so i'll give an example of like oh if your organization makes like i you know i had a hard time finding you know what um what pricing look like i typically do my pricing scale off of the size of the institution that's asking and so this is what my fee is for organizations over a million dollars is my fee is for organizations under five hundred thousand dollars what my does that make sense for
2: you um yeah yeah that's very helpful that's very helpful
0: Yeah, so because even um, for some places, six hundred dollars might actually be fine based off of what the organization is, um, how much they're actually willing to pay, and what their yearly budget, and their annual budget is. You know, in terms of imposter syndrome, one of the few work forms that is accessible to people from targeted communities on an ongoing basis. Like, lots of people go to school for art, but does every great artist that you've ever heard of did they go to school for art? No. A lot of people that you love and that you that have inspired you a song that you may have heard, uh, a painting that moved you, a piece of clothing that kind of got you out of bed or whatever it is, whatever kind of art piece we're talking about. Right. Uh, There's all kinds of art forms in which we can do that. We don't necessarily have to be trained by universities or trained by certain schools that we are trained by community. We're trained by practice. We're trained by legacy. Right. And so what I tell people is do not worry (laughs) if if the piece that is sort of stopping you about asking for what your proper fee is from institutions that got their wealth doing really nasty things to your community, right? If the problem is you're worried about whether or not your art is good enough, ask yourself if you would tell another person if they have a right to live comfortably and safely, right? Like if you would see another person in your community and you would tell that person that they deserve to have their lights come on and off at will, that they have a right to safe housing, that they have a right To food, not just food, but food that they would like to eat—that is healthy and good for them, right? All those different things. Then you have a duty to yourself too, right? So, in that space, because, like, let's say you do underprice yourself, other people will use your name to tell them why they're going to also underpay that other person too, right? So, like, for example, that's real, and that happens. That happens a lot. So, like, for example, because I had to talk with a friend, right? And so, my friend who is brilliant and wonderful. Um, and we had this conversation because she has this uh, major book and it's uh, lots of different places. And it's like an international, like success. It's like a really, really well-known book. I was talking to her, and I was talking to her about fees and I was like, you have to charge more. And she was like, Oh, well, you know, why should I charge more? And I was like, because if you keep undercharging, everybody else who doesn't have the type of accolades that you have is going to get paid way less because she was charging what someone who was new to the field would charge. And so we had to have a conversation about that because, you know, when you pay that much, what I've had people say when other people were trying to get their stuff is, oh, well, such and such accepted this fee, right? Which is way under yeah. market value, right? And so I've had, um, you know, this one organization in, um, I think, a school out in Mississippi had school was reaching out. They were like, oh, we'd love for you to perform. And this is maybe like a year ago. And they said, oh, could you come perform for like $500? And I was like, you know, the plane ticket's more than $500, right? Like, I can't.
2: Mm-hmm. I got to still said, get there. I got to eat. <laughs>
0: Listen, and you know what they said to me? They said, well, Laverne came to our school once for $500. You know? Wow. And I was like, you know, well, Laverne charges $32,000, like, almost everywhere else, right? Like, so she wasn't just speaking at your school. She was speaking at other places. Right. And all those different things. Right. Um, that's no shade to anyone's pricing. That's just what some of that pricing looked like at the time when someone was asking me. Right. Um, and so I had to have this conversation. I said, it's she didn't, she like that for her is a donation. Right. Based off the other gigs that are going to be happening in that area.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. So she, she probably was stacking gigs, kind of, right? Like yeah. she probably had a really large, a really large gig at one yeah. institution and then she was like, okay, I'll stop over here and do this for this amount, you know?
0: Well, also, she's yeah. literally an international superstar, right? And so, um, so when someone like her who has that kind of accolades is doing something smaller, those sometimes people don't understand that as a donation. So for us, like uh, people, artists of all kinds and calibers and all those different kinds of things, Making sure that if your problem is because you feel like you are an imposter or you feel like your art is not quite there, that you feel comfortable charging, know that if you know that you're putting out your best work, right? So if you know, I can't speak to you if you don't know or feel like your work that you're doing is good or healing for you, right? But if you're at a place where your art is healing or helpful or useful to you, I guarantee you there are other people to whom it will be useful and good for, right? And so that makes sure that, so when you feel that, right, know that as someone who's creating that work that is, can be a tool of healing for other people that you have a right to be taken care of too, right? You have a right to all the stable housing, to all the food you need, to all the stuff.
2: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I I never really thought about the fact that it impacts the next person. And I think that Mm -hmm. that definitely um not only gives a little bit pressure but makes me look at things a little bit different another thing Mm -hmm. that came up for me as an artist is a friend of mine um sometimes it depends on where I'm at on the road with my book book price I might give a little bit of a discount to make it a little bit more accessible right like my books are twenty dollars but if I'm at like some nonprofit or even an LGBT center, I'll sometimes do sliding scale because I know that right. the communities there want it and they can't necessarily, sometimes like that's just too much, right? Like sometimes right. they got 12 bucks in their, in their pocket and that's what they got. Um, but, uh, and i rather do that than to say, donation based right like you can give me a dollar you can give i give them a standard like okay sliding sale but the lowest i can go is 12. um and a friend of mine we were on we're kind of like on a a mini tour but we were doing some performances together in the city and they were like man you get me to get on this donation side of things and i always ask for donations and i bet you i get more money than you and i was just like i just don't feel comfortable with that right and and i think there's something also about like us pushing each other to be in each other's zones around that mm-hmm. right like if you want to do donation for your work or if you want to do it for free then that's fine um but also looking at how it's like not devalues but pushes the community farther away from getting what we really deserve you know so i like that i like that aspect of it
0: because one thing that kind of came up for you when you were saying that is like if you can afford to do donations like you know like that's because again that that relies on some very specific things because i there's so many different ways in which some of the finances of that could work out. as And I think as you're sharing that, you know, a lot of people can't necessarily afford to do that if there's not a cap on certain things, you know, in order for yeah, us to Yeah, like survive. it has to
2: be, a, it's a, kind of like a privilege that comes with being able to do that, right? Like I feel yeah. like personally um, as, and my book's been out for a year, this person has had a couple of books. So I think there's also that. And then I also think that they kind of, they have a, a tone about their work about being this like surviving artist and you know what I mean? Like just any donation, just the spill that they give is very different than the way that I show up as an artist. Like I'm very transparent transparent about already working a nine to five. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable saying that knowing that it's not true, right? Like they're talking about like, this is my last livelihood. This will get me something to eat. You know what I mean? Really using it in that bottle. Yeah which I think can work, but then I'm like, actually, I think you should be selling your book for full price if that is really your situation, right? Like, I don't think you should be saying, give me $5 for this book that really cost you whatever to print, right? Like, right. Um, making sure you're making that. That's
0: why I really like sliding scale, but also sliding scale, the top doesn't have to have a cap on it. And so I think that's where people kind of uh, mistake. So To me, oftentimes what I would say is, so if I was going to be in a room with the conversation that you're having right now, and so typically I would say a science scale that would be common for me is $10 to $20. Um, There are sometimes in places I tell people like, oh, you know, if you make, you know, over, if we're in a city, like, and you make over 75K, you know, a year, you know, I would ask that you pay the full pricing for this. You know, if you have the capacity to do more than that, right? Like, you are welcome to do that. If you cannot pay that much and that's not, and you're making way under that, then I would ask, you know, in the least like for people to do um, $10 or things like that. There's some moments in which I have the capacity as an artist to do a couple free things, like, and I don't necessarily announce that, but I will in different places. I usually try at each gig to give out at least one free book or something like that. I don't necessarily announce that from stage or something like that. But if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm seeing a space in which someone really is resonating with the work, but really also doesn't have it, you know, I can, I can be flexible, but I think also allowing people to show up that have that higher cap and holding those people accountable to say like, Oh no, you have the opportunity, right. To, to, to make up (laughs) for the funds, right. That you have that many communities don't have access to. And so I would definitely not suggest that people go, too far below because if you tell people too far below they'll meet you there even if they have more money to give
2: yeah it's so true and numbers really do affect the way people the way that you say it affects what people think about giving because i was recently at a gig and i told them you know um i'm doing you know i'm it could be sliding scale, but you know, I usually don't go under twelve dollars. And then I didn't say what the price was, right? Like I didn't say twenty, I didn't say twenty five as far as the max. Some people gave me thirty, a couple mm-hmm. people gave me fifty dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of the youth that were there were like, yo, like I only have like maybe like five bucks and i was like that's fine cool i'll sign it for you but i already knew that those other folks right had made up for that in a very big way so i think like sometimes when you don't give people a, a cap right. they'll base it off of like you know okay well shoot i looked this up for 20 but i'm gonna give you 50 dollars because i really enjoyed right. it and i want to help out right so there's so many interesting ways about it so as far as let's let's jump into book writing right like yes. i think that's what we're talking about now in product right like what i really have been enjoying and seeing from you is like yeah you you dropped a book but then you also have like some pillows you have some mugs like what is the importance of um, merchandise and beyond you know that passive income when it comes to an artist beyond just the the stage time and and this gigs. like how is that played into your financing structure
0: well i think even just like what you shared just now that anecdote about someone giving you fifty dollars because you know, you didn't put a cap on something, but also that they enjoyed your work. So they wanted to to buy part of your work, but also they were pouring into you. Right. And so the piece that people don't get about merchandise is it's not just like there are people that will buy your book and some people will read it that same night. There are some people that buy your book and will not read it. Right. Like not because of being shady or anything like that, but because someone bought your book, some people bought your book because they're really voracious readers and they really connect with seeing text. Some people were just so thrilled by your performance that they just want to be a part of anything that helps sustain you. Right. And so that's where people miss is that people, you know, only have, um, one way for people to access them. Right. And so to me, what having multiple types of merchandise for myself is about being able to connect with people in ways that are honest and authentic about what they can, what, you know, resonates with them most. Like, so if I, so I have like, like t-shirts for the Black Trans Prayer Book, which is a different project that myself and my colleague, Dame Figueroa Didi are doing together. But so we have a bunch of t-shirts that people can get with different quotes about reframing the conversation that we're having in our text around transness and divinity. Uh, for myself individually, I have, you know, uh, pillows and mugs with quotes from the book, from uh, the And Then I Got Fired book that I am recently launched in the last few months, you know. And so I think that every... Artist needs to have multiple tiers in which people can buy into your work, right? Because again, it's not, sometimes it's about the merch being cool and stuff like that, but they're really buying it because they're invested in you, right? Or they're invested in uh, this messaging that you have, they're invested in your persona, they're invested in your craft, all those different types of things. So for me, when I think about, you know, someone can pay for me to come to, their school or their festival or whatever and pay me a chunk of money to perform for like an hour, right? Not everybody has that out the gate, right? That's you know, that would be ridiculous to to assume that every single person that loves my work also has the money to necessarily come out of pocket to pay for my piece in that way. But could they pay for a small book? Yeah, they could pay for that, right? Could they, you know, have use for some of these other things like people wear t-shirts sometimes, you know, um sometimes people be more invested in buying the audiobook. Like I saw that you were doing or that, did you, you release the audiobook
2: of, um, yes. It's, yeah. I'm, I released, I released a single from it and it's officially releasing, um, in September, which is when this, when this interview will be dropped. So yes, okay. at this point, when y'all are hearing this folks, the album is out, go get it. It's called third volume one. Um, you can find it everywhere. Uh, we haven't figured out pricing yet. So I will let y'all know that at that time, yeah. I don't even know if it's going to be priced. I actually might, I've been really thinking about just letting it be a, a free project and letting it speak mm-hmm. for itself. Um, because I want it to be as accessible as possible. Um, mm-hmm. so, so yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there'll be some people who will be, it'll be a lot easier for them to access the audible version versus the visual, the written version, uh, versus
2: some people yeah, making it as accessible you know? as possible. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. All those things. Right. And, you know, to me, like, uh, for people that, you know, when I think about visual artists, you know, I tell visual artists, like, some people can pay for a physical wall for you to paint or for you to create a sculpture that's 10 feet tall or like whatever it is or installation hanging from their bathroom ceiling, right? And then a lot of people that actually fill you up and actually help you to be sustained enough that makes you want to create work, a lot of those people don't necessarily got it like that but could they pay for a sticker that you created or designed based off of a design? Could they pay for a t-shirt that you designed and put up on Teespring? Could they pay for something that's also functional for them? So those are sort of things that I think about. So stuff that is one that's just about the art, but also some things that are functional that people can use in multiple ways too, I think are important.
2: I like the idea of like merging a way that different ways that folks can connect with you. Cause I think that for me, that's really what, what I try to like, let drive why I create things like I definitely create things for myself all the time mm. right like as a as a as a healer and as using words and using the art to heal but then there's particularly things where people will be like yo like with my book people are like I my family my family people I really wanted to hear these words or like "Yo," I I really don't like reading or it's just like it's hard for me to even sit down and get a chance to read a book I got kids right so really that's what drove me to do the audio album so I love that What's driving you is like, how do I make my art as, as accessible as possible? And I think that that's what we're continuing to see um, in the work that you're doing. I think that it's powerful and I really, I really appreciate it. Um, so your book that you, when did you drop this book? That was earlier this year, right? Yeah, um, so and then wow. I got, and then, and then I got fired. One trans queer reflection on grief, unemployment and inappropriate jokes about death. Yeah. I love the <laughs> title. Um, I love the cover. I remember when you were telling us about it at the retreat we were at together, and I was just like, the fact that you're even talking about grief um in this way, like just just bringing up grief, right, like just even putting it in the title um is so courageous um and so thoughtful. So what brought along this book? Why did you write it? <laughs> Were you just up one night? Has it been, like, what was the process like? Like, has it been years? Like, did you do it in six months? Like, what was the process?
0: Yeah. Uh, so the process is, um, well, one of the processes, I got fired from a job, which, <laughs> which is obvious. Um, but so I, um, I moved up to New York from Philly for a job. So I moved up to um, New York for a job. I was switching uh, I guess career, so I was switching careers. So I was going from nonprofit industry to, I got a job at a, at a university up in New York. And so within the first month of me moving up to New York, my grandmother died. Um, right after that, my father died uh, about three months later. And so I was not the most present for this job that I had gotten at this new fancy institution. Uh, in addition to it being a job that once I got there, I realized I really did not want this job. You know, I'd been doing performance poetry on weekends, late at nights, doing other different things before that, especially working in nonprofit spaces when I was doing lots of youth work and other things. It was a lot easier to integrate, you know, art as a full-time piece or as as part of my daily work with the folks that I was already engaging with in my nine-to-five. And so when I switched careers and was sort of more in an administrative role at a university in which um, there was less uh, places for me to do my specific art on a regular basis, you know, I, in addition to all this, these things landing on me about grief, you know, my grandmother lived a few blocks away from me when I was in Philly, right? My dad was literally my best friend. And so these folks to die who were not, um, like my grandmother was sick, she wasn't, I didn't, I didn't know she was going to die that soon, you know, shortly after my, um, my move and my father was not sick at all. Right. So that was, that kind of took me out and was sort of random for me. And so that happened for me in, um, 2013, my father passed and it's sort of six weeks later, I got fired from my job at the university. My boss had literally called me while I was at my father's, Hospital room while he was in a coma, and called me up and said, "Oh, I thought you'd be back at work already." And I was like, "Well, he's dying." And she said, "Well, we all make different decisions, you know." And she was trying to convince me to come into my office, you know, even though wow. she knew was never going to see my dad again. And wow. I knew already at that, and I also suspected at that point that she already also knew that she was going to fire me at some point soon. And so that's a double whammy for me. That like you know that this is probably not working out. Like I knew. I didn't know that consciously at that moment, but afterwards I knew that consciously she had known that she was going to fire me even before she made that phone call. Right. And so I got fired May 1st of 2013. And it was still and is still one of the best days of my life. Right. And um, <laughs> I say,
2: I say, I say. Like
0: I just, I literally, you know, they, I, I was sitting in my office, they kind of, We had this um, front room where we had, like, staff, student staff workers and other people, and, you know, and I guess they had cleared them out at some point because they said they were going to have a conversation with me or something like that. Um, I go into this room, and I didn't know that anybody had cleared out. I just came out of my – I was asked to come out of my office, and there was nobody in in the office, and my boss called me into her office where her supervisor and someone from HR was sitting, and the person from HR gave me this letter. And, um, you know, I'm reading this letter, and I'm like, oh, I'm finished working here. Like, I'm not working here. And they were like, yeah. Like, and I was like, and this is today. Like, so I don't, I don't have to come back. And they were like, yeah. And I just, I hugged, I literally hugged everybody in the room. And I said, thank you. And I packed my stuff and I left. And I texted my friends and I said, y'all, it's 72 degrees in New York. I'm going to be at the bar. I'll see y'all at happy hour, you know? So <laughs> oh, smooth day, wow. you know? Wow. Uh, so I wasn't... I knew that that was the right decision. And I was so excited. I felt this huge weight because I was just like, I fucking hate this job, (laughs) right? I hate what I'm doing and I hate where I am and I can't do the work that I'm doing in addition to being antagonized all the time. And so this book for me literally took me six years to write because it was about talking about the basket case I was when I was dealing with grief, right? And the ways that people attempt to quote unquote comfort you during grief. It is usually about them more than it is about you. It's about them being uncomfortable with your sadness, and um, yeah. So in the book itself, there's different poems that I've written over the years. There's it's a very short book. It's 84 pages. Um, some of it's also uh, places for people to write in their own sort of grief tool stuff, right? So it's an interactive book. There's some random blessings to trans people throughout it, you know, that appear on a few of the pages. As well as some just some different tools for all people dealing with grief, and so it's uh, for me it kind of works the way my brain does. <laughs> in that it's it's sort of like going through a little workshop, you know. There's even some tools like when I talk about you know getting fired from my job, you know there's a little worksheet for people who are artists looking to be full time. So it kind of has the full experience of <laughs> what was it like in my brain when I was getting fired from my job at that point.
2: Wow, wow. I did not know the history of this book and I'm so excited that I had it. Um man, thank you so much. I I you know, the top of this year my grandmother passed away and then the same mm-hmm. week my stepmother passed away. Um mm-hmm. and I was going into a new job. Isn't this wild? Um literally I got the job that week. Got all those calls that week, but I'm really thankful that I've had like a team that has been supportive with my grief um Mm -hmm. and really has pushed me even my supervisor has pushed me even to take even though I'm new right like I'm new not new to the company but new to the position to make sure I'm spending time with my dad because you know he's really grieving this is this is the second partner that he lost because we lost my mother about 10 years ago um Mm. so it's like double double widowing but really has pushed me like Mm. you know make sure are you going back to LA when you going back to see your dad is your dad coming up like really checking Mm. in um and making sure my whole self is together because i know that that's not like i tell her all the time you're not a normal supervisor <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. like you're not a normal like your care for us as individuals is, is beyond right what i normally mm. see especially in the field of higher education so Listen. thank you for sharing that about the book um i would love if you're down to maybe maybe read a poem out of there to share with the audience would you be cool with that yeah and
0: so this is um the, my favorite poem in the book, and it's one of the first pieces that happens. Um, and this is the newest piece that actually exists in this book because everything else I would say I had written, and I think maybe I was just waiting on this poem to happen <laughs> before I felt comfortable sending it out. Um, but this poem is called Zone of Rarity, and um, yeah, I'll just get into it. True story. The other day, I dreamt I was cuddling with a human-sized platypus. I stroked its beak and its tail I wrapped my arms around it and it made a sound I did not recognize. But that sound felt a lot like joy and calm and loyalty I hear, that's what some people call love. And maybe I didn't know what love sounded like until that moment, but that's not surprising to me. Because survivors are like that. We're used to mistaking chaos for love. We've been trained to call our very realities things that they are not, so this clarity in my spirit was new. I woke up all rejuvenated and wanted to know everything about the love of my dreams, so I read every encyclopedia entry, every Wikipedia article, listening to every TED talk I could find about the platypus, but they all described it the same way. Said that it was weird and strange that it had the bill of a duck and the tail of a beaver. But how strange does that sound to the platypus, that she could be saying it has the tail of a creature it's never even shared the same continent with? It's like if it has the bill of a platypus, and the tail of a platypus, and poison spurs in its feet like a platypus, and it's probably not a duck. It's like calling it a thing a thing it is not. It's like when colonizers that called themselves scientists landed on what was once a black continent we now call Australia. You know, when they first saw the platypus, they thought it was a joke, that someone was playing a trick. They thought someone actually wasted their day gluing bills onto the face of the rats so they tried to remove the bill from the face of the platypus and subsequently killed a lot of platypuses that way, trying to uncover the joke. Turns out the joke was murder, because they were insistent on calling a thing a thing it is not. It's like, maybe my gender is a platypus. You know, folks always labeling parts of my body things that they are not. It's like when Columbus landed on Hispaniola and Balboa landed in North America, and Hawkins landed in West Africa, and they saw all these black and brown bodies, they saw men and women, and they saw something else they thought was a joke. Someone playing a trick. They saw all these people that lay between their understanding of gender, somehow even beyond them. You know, some at the time called us healers. Some called us just purely divine. Now some of us just call it trans for short, but to them, it was a joke. It was someone playing a trick. So, so maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they ordered us killed by dogs. Maybe that's why they burned us alive. Maybe that's why they tried to kill everyone that ever saw us as holy. Maybe that's the punchline, because the joke to white supremacy is always murder. It's like when they told us they were bringing us civility on black and brown soil, but what they meant was that they were bringing us the transatlantic slave trade because they like to call a thing a thing it is not. It's like, maybe my name is a platypus, you know, because when I say it, people tell me that's not what it should be. But really my ancestors called for me and I responded back and they told me there is nothing blacker than me calling my own name into existence, but to you, maybe it's a joke. And maybe that joke is suppression because supremacy always tries to kill things it doesn't understand. You know, I hear abusers do that sometimes. Try to devalue things they don't understand and call things things that they are not. So I may call that gaslighting. They may call it law and order. They may call it civility. They may call it a joke. Or a trick on them, a trick on their science, a trick on their power, a trick on their biology, a trick on their legal system, a trick on their supremacy, a trick on their superiority, a trick on their religiosity. But there will always be the platypus, even when you laugh behind its back, even when you deny its power, its poison, every step it takes, underwater, it senses electrical pulses to find its food and the things that it will prey on. It reminds me of myself and the ways that I send bullshit and decide what kinds of energy I will or will not feed on. Even when you think I am a joke, that my body is weird and strange. Even when you call me a thing, a thing I am not. Maybe I'm not a platypus. Maybe I'm just defiant with venom in my walk. Maybe it is just my familiar. Maybe I'm just familiar with the ways white supremacy works. Maybe my familiar teaches me to always call a thing exactly what it is. and I call you.
2: Ooh! Hey, Mace, man. Every time I every time I hear you speak it, it, it literally heals me. Like, you speak thank of you, parts man. of me um, that are afraid of the world. You know? That are afraid and inherently um, yeah, just afraid and scared of the world, so thank you. I've, I've been feeling this way since I met you, but I I feel and I know that sometimes we're hesitant. And I like that you called us you call folks divine in there, right? Like we we in the world we've been medicine. Like and I think people forget that. Um, but what are what are the ways that you have utilized this to heal? Because I know for me, um, you know, my writing definitely my book was healing. But I think any writing that I do about my ancestors, um, it's almost like a a download I get from them of affirmation that I'm living my journey in the way that I'm supposed to because a lot of times the world doesn't say that, right? So I have to do a lot of internal processing and prayer and meditation to make sure that the journey I'm on is connected to a deeper meaning Um, because I know that the world can't see that. They can't see that journey. I almost feel like, you know, like Wizard of Oz, like that yellow brick road, but it's invisible. It's like something that I only see. And everybody else is just like, where are you going and why, right? And I'm like, because I know I'm supposed to be here. Um, So what role has has writing played in your healing practice and in your your spiritual practice?
0: I mean, I think writing, for me, writing allows me to tell the truth about the world and what's happening, right? And so even in that piece, like, That to me is a piece that took a long, a lot of research, (laughs) a lot of time to kind of sit with and actually think about, you know, because I literally woke up being obsessed with this um, creature and being like, why am I so obsessed with this creature? Like, what is it about this that is really drawing me to it? Uh, And, you know, and the more I meditated on it, you know, just as you're talking about, so like this plug-in piece, I was like, okay, this is the universe wanting me to talk about our role in colonization and wanting me to really think about the ways that, um, this creature <laughs> has experienced, you know, um, this place in which, you know, I, I feel for myself as a trans person going to doctors, <laughs> like, in which, you know, I've never met a doctor who was a trans specialist and that knew more about my body as a, as an actual living trans person. Like I have met a couple trans doctors <laughs> and one that I've actually gotten to interact with, you know, um, as a as a care provider, but largely that even you know as um, as trans people we engage with people who are experts on us that are cis people and know nothing you know um, and so for me it allows me to so writing allows me to communicate a history to people that you know I often experience as um, as an edu- as the educator part of me that does a lot of trainings and workshops with people and sits with people in all kinds of places. I get so many people that are way too forgiving of themselves for violence that they're still doing, right? And I mean that in the sense of I'll experience people who say, oh, well, you know, like transness, you know, we just didn't, you know, it's so new. I just, I've never experienced it. You know, as I'm too old to, you know, be talking about this and having to explain to people, it's like, if you feel like they didn't talk about transness when you were a kid or at your age, it's because a lot of the people that are your age that are trans didn't get to live this long. Right, it's not that trans people didn't exist, and so I love doing things that allows me to connect with the history of us, especially as Black and Brown trans people. I think so. Even just that, that many of us can't even see a future for ourselves because we, you know, we can't connect to people that have um, existed, you know, before us. Right. So a lot of times, feeling like you're constantly forging a path, and there's nothing connecting to to a past. Um, is destabilizing, right? And we don't, we're in a world that wants us to think individually, right? And doesn't want us to acknowledge the legacy stuff, but people went out of their way to erase that kind of history. One of the cats I even talked about in that poem, like Balboa, who went out of his way to erase a trans and gender nonconforming legacy because knowing <laughs> how people exist and the spiritual powers that we have, you know, would mean that we also had the capacity to fight back in a different type of way not just us in those moments, but a future us, right? Our, our, our lineage would also feel compelled to fight back knowing about those intentional erasures, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's rooting me. It roots me in knowing that even this conversation that we're having about when people feel imposter syndrome, I'm never an imposter anywhere because I belong everywhere I am. If I put my foot down there, I belong there. Because I know that people birthed me from many generations and that my existence and my ability to be here is only proof of how powerful they were in their manifestation.
2: I need that mm-hmm. on a I need that on a shirt right there. I'm not <laughs> an imposter. You need be- <laughs> I don't know. We gotta go back and get that full. Point, but I need that. And I even think about the person that y'all shared on your platform recently. Um, I don't know that I cannot remember their Homer. name. It's not coming to me. Yes. Palmer, yes. Yeah. Yes. Who was Palmer? Who was assaulted? Um, and I was just like, I mean, so much of my own trauma came up about like just various experiences that I've had. But I was like thinking about how we don't talk about it as trans masculine folks, like just about these. Like I feel like what happened with that individual could have happened, and we wouldn't have known if that makes sense. Well, like, the, it feels did you like see what happened after? Some kind of, no, I did not. I have not been updated. What happened? So the thing
0: that. Fucked me up the most, you know. Um, so here's this kid, because I'm saying he's a kid because he's 21, so he's literally a kid. Yeah, this he's thing. a baby. Yeah, he's, he's a, baby. a baby. Yeah, he's a baby. So after this is posted, you know, um, and people are sharing it, uh, I think uh, Black, uh, I think Sir Knight from Black Trans TV and a few people had put together a uh, GoFundMe for Palmer, right? Which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, so Sir Knight uh, knows Palmer, I think, in life, you know. Um, and yeah, and so the GoFundMe was like for $10,000 for relocation for Palmer, right? And um it started exceeding $10,000, I think, in less than 48 hours, right? So it was really quick turnaround. And so oh, wow. Palmer, who was like coming here out of the hospital, was like, oh my goodness, like, thank y'all so much. Like, because also anyone that knows that you're contributing past the amount that was desired, right? That you're contributing to whatever else that person needs, right? Like, or just that they're healing or whatever, right? So you're just contributing to the person right and their autonomy right and so he said oh he's like oh you know if y'all keep donating like this like y'all gonna end up paying for my top surgery too right which was a you know he was just very touched that people were still donating you know um and so from there there was a few other trans mass people even (laughs) and specifically that said like oh well i don't think that he was raped you know and went on a tirade against this child right um, to the point that I wow. saw Tea Time, like Time Network, like posted something and was like, "Oh, like some trans mass people are saying that they don't think that he was raped." Like, what do y'all think? Posing it as a fucking question. Wow. Like, what the fuck is wrong with y'all? Like, what the fuck is actually wrong with y'all? Right. Oh and so my then,
2: goodness.
0: So initially, like, I don't know how what his following was like before all this happened, but his following went up by like at least fifteen thousand people, like in the course of. 48 hours of people knowing about this assault that happened to him, right? And so it's like, so he's getting a lot more attention than he's typically used to getting, right? Um, and people are, you know, um, some people were, like, just trolling him, you know? And so it's just like, this kid got assaulted in a very it, like, just, you know, all, you know, got drugs, got, you know, all the stuff, you know, and finding out all the stuff about the person that, you know, had assaulted him and and it's having to deal with that, um, having to deal, you know, um, and uh, it's just so that stuff, like the ways in which, as masculine centered people, um, even in community, we'll get blamed for stuff that happens to us, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I'm thinking about, exactly. you know, yeah, because when I think about DV in my life, like people told me I should have, you know, fought back harder or did something or you know, was, um, like, I'm making drama. It's like, I'm not making drama. Your friend is violent. (laughs) This person that y'all, you know, protect is violent and terrible. But, you know, okay, I'm causing problems for being someone who's honest about experiencing violence.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then this level of, like, you're being sensitive or it's not that serious, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting tone. So that's definitely some of the, the work I'm interested in exploring in my next level of like healing like I, I really see I've seen myself in the future doing some type of healing retreat and spaces um, with with more trans masculine folks but I think that I'm, I'm kind of tired of the spaces that are just anchored in masculinity is wrong and problematic um, mm. I feel like I'm over that like okay yeah we know that there's some toxic aspects of it cool Um, but what do we do to really heal each other and to have some type of communal space where we're able to really be vulnerable and support one another Um, and to be honest about our experiences because I think the other thing is that some people have experienced trauma and when these things come up in order for them to not deal with their own shit, they'll be like, you're lying. You're not telling Mm the truth, right? Because they don't want to sit in their own they right. Their own mess of, of the experiences right. that they've had or acknowledge right. that those experiences were real. So then right. they're like, nah, if, if, if yours was real, then that makes mine real. So none of it could be real. Right. Like, no. 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 Like, no. not at but exa- all. But exactly.
0: Exactly. And because it's like, if, you know, and for so many people that, even when I think about people who, um, for people who've also been, I think, um, transitioning socially and medically for a long time, that for some folks, like, part of their transition was to come out of some of the, uh, that part of their, uh, um, their physical transition that largely, of course, it's about gender. And for some, part of it is also about them trying to cast off the places in which they were victimized, right? And not coming to terms mm. with some of that, right? And so like, if I, you know, so for them coming into masculinity in a, certain t- in a certain type of cis-normative way is about them saying that they're making a choice not to be victimized, right? And so that it's not possible for men to be victimized it's not possible from asking people to be victimized right because that's part of why i was doing this do you know what
2: i mean wow. yeah so yeah. i hear
0: that a lot in ways people are talking it's like t doesn't do that much it doesn't do that <laughs> like and i know that right
2: strong. It's not, <laughs> not that erasing that whole thing oh goodness okay well i don't want to take up too much of your time so i want to get into the last part of the show we okay. are back recording now i might grab yeah. a, a, a few pieces from here but the last part of the show, and before we jump into it, I would love for you to just let our audience know how they can contact you if they want to bring you to audience to, to, to the audience. If they want to bring you to campus, <laughs> if they want to bring you to their organization, if they want to bring you on Ellen, right? We don't know who's <laughs> going to be hearing this. Listen, listen, um, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to manifest, you know, I'm always trying to manifest the greatness, right? Because like, if you're seen then, and you're doing the work, then that creates a path for not only me, but the folks behind me. Um, and I know that you value our community enough, where um, you're going to do that to you're going to represent, right? You're going to represent well. Most so, definitely. what are ways folks can can get connected to you? Um, and then we'll jump into our next segment, which is called Boy Talk and Hop.
0: Uh, well, I was going to say, um, I don't know if Ellen would be listening, but I would love if Red Table listening. They can they can reach me at. <laughs> so, if the Red Table wants to reach me, they can reach me at www.j, the letter J, M is in Mary, A is in Apple, S is in Sam. E is an eagle, I I I So it should read jmace the third.com. Um, yeah, or you can follow me on Instagram at A at I'm saying A at the letter J letter M A S E I I I. yeah, and I try to be as active as possible on the Insta. Um, yeah, and you can also purchase my book and find out about some of the uh, particularly the Black Transparent book, that larger project I'm doing with uh, Dame Figueroa-Didi um, on, you know, the reclamation of Black Trends Divinity, which will be out in January. You can find out more about that as we're posting on Instagram
2: um, and on my site. Dope, dope. I would love to see you on the red table with Jada. That would be listen, amazing. Listen. Like, I'm just and saying, Willows, though,
0: and if, Willows. We're speaking, <laughs> if we're speaking things into existence, you know, I ain't never heard <laughs> um, Ellen use the word white supremacy, but I do think we could at least somewhat get there on the red table. Mm-hmm. So i would be excited to check them out on the red table. Okay.
2: (laughs) nice, nice, nice. Okay. so this last this last segment is just a little bit of fun just to kind of see where your mind is. I'm going to ask you some fill in the blank questions. Um, Mm -hmm. So an example would be like I love to watch. Right. And I'm usually like I love to watch cartoons like it's really like my go to when I'm after I've had a hard day at work. Um, Either that or Martin, you know what I mean? Even though he's a little bit um, problematic. I I know that now the 90s, didn't know how problematic Martin. Martin yeah okay. some of the yeah. stuff is just so chauvin- chauvinistic and you know yeah. but it's funny to me right like it brings me joy so for you um i want to jump into that so anything that happens for the fill in the blank just fill it in if you want to give us a little more detail that's cool <laughs> and this is called boy talk and hop so okay. my favorite food is you know cape coast
0: pineapples mm, i never heard of that That's a What what it's you like, like about it they're like a white pineapple um, in West mm-hmm. Africa. It's like they're just sweet and amazing and the most amazing pineapples I think of. Ever. It's the most amazing fruit I think I've ever had in my life.
2: Wow. Now I got to go to South Africa. Thank you for that. So more money, more.
0: In the capitalist society, it um, unfortunately leads to more individual safety. Um, but I think the more that we can leave away from a money system and be more about cooperative economics and sustainability and whatever the way that looks like, I think that is... Um, collective support and
2: collective yeah collective safety. Nice. If I could spend a day with anyone it would be blank and we would do blank.
0: Um if I could spend a day with my dad um I would love to actually show him this beach and stuff out here. So moving to the West Coast like I would have loved to have my dad hang out with where I'm living out right now. Wellness is wellness is you know whatever it is that allows you to feel whole.
2: I like that, I like that. I love to watch.
0: (laughs) I am obsessed right now with this show called Barry, which is terrible, um, and How to Get Away with Murder, as well as American Horror Story. So I'm glad that Angelica Ross is jumping onto that.
2: (laughs) The book I'm currently reading is?
0: I'm currently reading a book called Otherwise Christian. So it's a book by a colleague of mine and friend of mine named Chris Page. And it's on, um, yeah. It's a wonderful, nerdy theology text for those interested in trans theologies. Nice,
2: nice. And last but never least, Jay Mace's.
0: Jay Mace is habitually
2: tired but always inspired. (laughs) Okay. You just keep the rhymes coming, Jay Mace. You just keep them coming. Can we? Can we get that on a mug? A a mug as well, because I need that. That. That's for the coffee drinkers right there in the morning, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> I'm like, I've be tired oh. on the regular, but I'm excited about my life, you know? And so I think, um, yeah, I want more people to be, I want more, especially black and brown trans people to be excited about the lives that they're living.
2: I affirm that. And I hope that that is, is an affirmation that we're speaking that will, you know, sit here and beyond us, right? Um, awesome. I'm really thankful for you and for this interview and for you, you know, spending the time with our community um, and for the, the people that this touch, you know, this will touch. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for thriving. Thank you for moving us past just accepting what people want to give us, but really demanding what we deserve. Um, I really, awesome. really appreciate you.
0: My name is James III and I'm born obviously incredible.
2: Thanks for listening to Boy Meets Wellness. Stay connected on and off the
0: show by following us online at Boy Meets Wellness. That's boy with an I. Until next time, go be incredible.